Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Book Talk, your weekly podcast book club. We are in the third section of Writers and Lovers by Lily King. What happened in this section, Katie? In this section, we see Casey struggling a lot with some physical health issues, but also a lot of anxiety, panic attack, kind of mental health issues as well. On a happier note, she has finished her novel, and by the end, she has also secured an agent, a first-time agent, to represent her, which is super exciting. I'm proud of her. And then she's getting a little deeper into her relationship with Oscar, having dinner, hanging out with the kids, playing putt-putt, but she's also kind of getting to see the not-great sides of him as well at his at his uh, book reading, and then obviously in bed later. Things end with her other love interest, Silas, in a very non-climactic but seemingly typical way, but at least she doesn't have to tell him about Oscar. It's kind of a win-win. She does eventually get fired from her job in the end, and she's shopping for somewhere else to live as she's being evicted, and I really feel like things are about to get worse for her before they get better. (laughs) I really spoke her eviction into reality. (laughs) You did? Did you yeah, say that last, last week? I was like, come on, it's not that sympathetic. It's not like she's getting evicted. Oops. Yeah, you're like, this girl, actually, nothing's happening to her. And then they're like, actually, she literally has a lump in her breast. She's getting evicted. She got fired from her job. She's she picked the mediocre guy. I mean, things just spiraled. Her dad came to lunch. I mean, is she sad enough for you yet? Asking for her dead mother's ring. But it was his mom's ring that he gave to her mother. But still, like, dude, fuck off. The things you no, I don't have any sympathy for her dad. He's got issues. He's got his own issues to be dealt with in his own book. Casey's got plenty of issues for us to discuss. <laughs> on okay, so let's start with her dad. What did you think of that whole scene at lunch when he like comes in to check on her but doesn't really have any interest in actually checking on her? Is like an asshole about her not playing golf without taking any responsibility for why she didn't. And then asking for the ring back. I don't have the same relationship that you have with your parents. I wouldn't say like we're not close, but I do understand the like the awkwardness that she has with her dad and that this is normal to her that like they're just going to like drive through and be like, good, you're alive. Anyways, see you later. They also clearly have gotten stuck in this narrative of each other where to her, her dad's just like an irredeemable creep who is a bad person. And to her dad, she's just like a waste of her talent. And they're basically just completely stuck in that story and have really no interest in trying to deepen their relationship. And that's sad, but that definitely is relatable. I am reading another book that is talking about that right now, about the stories that we tell each other and how hard it is to rewrite those stories, especially within kind of family units and both people have to want to. Sometimes I think that the stories that have happened to us or the trauma is is too much and is not able to be redeemed. But I think things like her not being the golf champion he wanted her to be, that's a story you could rewrite if you were both interested in working through that shit together. And they don't seem to be. I do think her relationship with her dad is probably very relatable. It's not the relationship that I have. So you're right. That's not super relatable for me, but I get it. Um, That kind of distant, but checking up on it relationship doesn't seem super abnormal, but I do think her dad is an asshole at lunch. 
He is. I think he has a story not just for her, but also about his own wasted potential. And that he hoped that she would have risen to like the the heights that he couldn't have. That's also what parents do. It's sort of like, well, I am projecting my own failures onto you because you should have gone and done the thing that I couldn't do and completed my life's journey, which is obviously not what she's interested in doing. That's a story we've heard time and time again. Mm. Mm. (laughs) I already Um, feel smarter today (laughs) than I did on the last two episodes. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. We are both recovered from being sick. It was a rough couple of weeks. Thank you for (laughs) hanging in there with us. We barely made it, but we appreciate your support. I have a bone to pick with your summary. I just, I have, I'm just all up on my bones to pick with you these days. Why? Okay. I don't think it ended with Silas. Okay. I'm willing to pick this bone. Why? Okay. Maybe it didn't end. I just, Silas drives me crazy because obviously he has no communication skills, but is clearly super hot. And he just like at the, at the train, he just taps her arm. He's like, all right, gotta take this one. See you later, kid. Like What? I don't think he's coming back. I think Silas is moving on. Books are calling his name. Somebody needs something from him. I don't know. Oscar's out. Silas is in. There's no way. Yes. I think the Oscar thing is dead. She is not into him. That's true. It's true. She is like having like skin crawling laying next to him, which I understand you can be attracted to someone and it doesn't translate, but also she doesn't seem to be giving this really a chance or letting it be different than how you imagined it like it's it can be awkward if it's the first time that you're staying over his place it doesn't feel right then she just goes rooting through his stuff and of course finds silas's pages which is <laughs> like oh my god, oh god. To that. i think there is an awkwardness but also i think that your first time staying at someone's house you probably have like or your first time being with them some kind of spark I could not stop thinking about this saying the fire it's either fireworks or it's coffee in bed. And I don't feel like Oscar's really fitting into either of those. Like he doesn't offer her this like comfort place that she can really fall into the coffee in bed, the contentment, but there are not fireworks. I felt a little skin crawly reading that. I'm like, he's just like halfway up the stairs. Can you get the lights? Like Nothing hotter than that. (laughs) I don't know why I'm like, this scene was not it for me. And the sex, the way she wrote that sex scene, I was like, oh, this does not sound, it's not a spicy sex scene. It's not the one I wanted. I also liked the coworker who gave her the advice. You always know your horse. Yeah. About horse racing. Like, you know, deep down, you know. And I think deep down she knows it's not Oscar. Maybe it's not Silas, but I bet it will be. Just given how much of the book is left, I feel like he's going to come around. But he does seem to be that annoying hipster arty guy who's like sorry I just like the vibes weren't right you know he's a mystery and she loves it oh can there just be another guy besides these why are these the men that we're picking between Adam come on Adam okay I'm here for Adam I feel like preppy hot maybe you know he's got he's got to sell his house for $375,000 okay maybe Adam's the right decision I don't know but it's Adam not the one Oscar. currently evicting her. Yeah, currently evicting her. Maybe she can sleep with them and get some free rent. I don't know. But Oscar and the kids are sweet. And there's a whole section and they're talking about 
Oscar's wife, the kid's mom, and the nurse's story that is like super heartbreaking for these little kids who he's now raising alone. And you feel for him and what he's going through in this companionship that he wants. But I don't think that that she's the one to really fill that hole for them, even though she she is finds them all very endearing. Well, she's not the one for Oscar because I'm the one for Oscar. <laughs> you still have a crush on Oscar? <laughs> he sounds great. Did you Just read they the don't sex have chemistry? Scene? Just because they don't have chemistry doesn't mean Oscar and I wouldn't have chemistry. First of all, this totally is like true. a super talented, well-respected, intellectual man who like really has his act together. I who has I'm no confidence Oscar. and is kind of like a greedy. I have a quote to read about that actually. Please hold. I think it is. I think my thing for Oscar is like, I understand that he's like a successful writer, but I feel like every time that they interact and when you see the real side of him, he doesn't have this confidence. And I just feel like people who do not have confidence, I do not find it attractive. I need the confidence. So she's talking about Oscar when he's having his little breakdown outside of his reading. And she says, nearly every guy I've dated believed they should already be famous, believed that greatness was their destiny and they were already behind schedule. An early moment of intimacy often involving a confession of this sort, a childhood vision, teacher's prophecy, a, ge- a genius IQ. At first, with my boyfriend in college, I believed it too. Later, I thought I was just choosing delusional men. And now I understand it's how boys are raised to think, how they are lured into adulthood. I've met ambitious women, driven women, but no woman has ever told me that greatness was her destiny. I think this just says a lot about the way that – I think this says a lot about the way that men are socialized to believe – what they are deserving of and the way that women are constantly second guessing that and making sure that they are deserving or they've earned it enough. I thought it was a really eloquent way to say that. I agree. I loved that section describes so much, so many people I know. So myself included, but then it does make sense to me that most men feel this way. Like they have been wronged by not achieving this greatness that they thought they were destined to. I think that's at the root of a lot of the issues that we have with toxic masculinity and violence and fucking incels. It's this idea that like I was promised, I shouldn't like, I should be better than where I currently am. And at the slightest insinuation that you can't get it or that you won't have it, they like freak out. But even him, like the idea that there's not enough chairs out, no one's even going to be, I should have been in auditoriums at this point. Like that is a very natural thing, I think, for everyone to feel that crisis of confidence. Yeah, I think for ambitious people in general, like that, should I be further along than where I'm at? Am I doing this fast enough and good enough and smart enough is a thing. That's probably like the perfectionist side of him as well. Like is this enough? But I do think there's this underlying success, this feeling, this underlying feeling that success is owed to him and is not necessarily because of something he did or did not do, but is like a given, which I thought was powerful. It's also very human though, to compare yourself against someone always like better than you are. That's one of the researchers one of the professors at Columbia studies this. So who do you compare yourself to when you're thinking about where you are and you always compare yourself to like the best in every field. So like no matter how far he gets, he's like objectively successful, but he's still looking ahead at where he could have been. And like, he will never achieve it until he's Stephen King. And even Stephen King is probably like, well, I could have been even better. 
He's still acting a little bit like a petulant child, but yes, agreed. I think this is the hard part about being remotely successful. Is there somebody who's doing it better? There's always somebody doing it better and always somebody, you know, somebody below and above you or whatever. This is what I try to tell myself when you feel the same way. Like there's going to be somebody better who thinks differently or who's, who did something you did better. I don't know if that made sense. Yeah. But, but you're the only one who can do it the way that you would do it and say what you would say. That's all you can do. That's true. All right, Oscar. Did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think Oscar's out. Silas is coming back. That's my only prediction. I don't think anything is going to happen. I still feel like the health issues is like a red herring. Okay. I like her physical health issues. Yeah. I feel like she's going to be fine. I mean, I TMI, but I've had the lump in my breast. I've had to like cut out caffeine and like it, Please get your mammograms, get yourself checked, but it's not always like the end of the world. I could see that about her physical health issues. I think being inside her head while she's having these anxiety attacks or panic attacks is like, whew, that's a lot. She is, and she, I think, describes what's happening to her in such a visceral way. She also keeps bringing back the bees, like stirring under her skin. The bees analogies, I think we've had like seven of them. But the way that she describes how she's feeling outside of the restaurant when she's having that panic attack, like sitting down, like she has to get out of her body. It's a lot to have her describing it, especially I think if you've had anxiety like that, that feeling of like crawling out of your skin. Like she is definitely struggling mental health wise here. I don't really, I guess mental health is never really super logical, but I don't understand why this is escalating at this point. I mean, I don't think there has to be like a logical reason why it's escalating, but I think she's also, a lot is happening. Obviously she's lost her mom and she's still going through grief, which I think happens in phases and over time and can change in how you deal with it. But I also think maybe there's something with what Oscar and the kids are showing her about herself. Her dad came back into the picture. She sold, she sent her novel out and she got a bunch of rejections, which is clearly very triggering for her as well. And something she spent a lot of her life doing, um, I don't know. Maybe it's just because of all the change happening in her life. She's being evicted, et cetera. Like I think any of those everyday stressors, but sometimes it's not even something that specific that can cause you to have worse kind of bouts of it. Even though we like to think that it could be logical. It'd be easier if it was like, this is the one thing, fix this thing. Your anxiety will leave. (laughs) But that's it. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. I guess I just don't understand. It seems like things are going. I still feel like things are going well for her. Erica, (laughs) you are killing me with how unsympathetic you are to this girl. She's literally evicted. She's fired from her job. Her dad is a creep who came back in and asked for her mother's ring and her mom died. And you're like, her life is fine. I think she's doing fine. Oh my God. I don't. Yeah, I don't have sympathy for her. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't know. I think we have very different views of <laughs> what to be sympathetic word of this girl. Oh. I don't know why I don't find her sympathetic. I guess this is something for all of our listeners to weigh in on if she's sympathetic or not. Like she finished her novel. She now has an agent who's well-respected and yes, it's her first time, but she comes from like another famous agent. So I'm sure she's going to do well. So she's going to sell the book. Like the windfall is coming for her. 
she is getting evicted, but she does. She can't. Worst case scenario, even if she doesn't want to sleep with him, she can stay with Oscar for a couple weeks while she like gets her footing. Do you think maybe your non-sympathy for her comes from the fact that like both you and I are like kind of fixers of things and these are not insurmountable problems. These are like, like the eviction, the author, like these are things that I can fix. I can put a plan on. I can solve the problem. If I can't stay here, then I can stay here. If this happens to me, then this is the next option. And I feel like there's very few things in my life that I feel like I can't resolve to something that I can handle except for maybe grief, right? But like do you think that maybe like a lot of what she's going through is controllable? Maybe. I feel like no, but I'm going to say maybe so that you feel better about it. <laughs> you don't have to say maybe. <laughs> I think. I was legit she- asking like you can just be like, no, I think that's wrong. The reason I don't feel sympathetic for her is it doesn't seem to me like she's going through a crisis of. She's going through rough situations, but she still has a pretty clear idea of who she is, what she wants, what she wants out of life. And she is talented. She's going to be fine. It's going to work out. If anything, she just needs to, like, stop holding on to all these problems and explain herself. Like, tell the her boss that she's having a mental health crisis. Tell her friend Muriel that she's getting evicted. Like, explain to people, like, what's happening. I feel like she's not in as bad of a condition as other people that's like I just feel like it's not I feel like she's gonna be fine and I think she is fine at her core I think she's fine she's dealing with grief yes but grief time will help and so I just feel like girl hang on for like two more months get that fat fat check for your first book get the idea for your second book you're gonna be fine sleep with Adam convince him to let you stay (laughs) and now we're at the root of it okay now we have a plan (laughs) Or go work at this, the cook who left, the chef who left, go work at his new restaurant. Yeah, because this new guy seems like a psychopath, so maybe don't stay with him. So it all worked out. It's actually better that she got fired. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the no income thing is definitely not going to help the lone people calling her restaurant, but yeah, for sure. I loved when Oscar's kids saw her place and they were like, it's like a house for small people. Like, but Casey's not a small Is this apartment for ants? Like, what is oh, it's like Thumbelina's like? apartment. Yeah. That's what they said. Yeah, she's <laughs> when she's a real size girl. When she's not <laughs> Kids are just like ruthless. They're like, why would you live they in just a tiny, it. shitty you place? You know Oscar was thinking it, but they just say it. And we love them for that. We really do. <laughs> All, All right. right. Any other predictions for the end, Katie? No, I do think that she's, I hope that she's going to be fine. And she, the health issue is going to be nothing. And she's going to kind of like work through this phase and come out okay. I do not think Silas is coming back to be the lover we want him to be, but I do also hope she does not settle for Oscar because she is not in it. I will put so much money on the fact that she will not settle for Oscar. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think she's going to settle for Oscar. As I'm saying, I hope that that doesn't happen, but I also don't think that Silas is coming back. Okay. Well, we are finishing Writers and Lovers this week. And on the third episode of each of our book club reads, we announce our next book that we're going to be reading over four episodes so that you have plenty of time to get your copy or request it from the library. The next book we're reading is The Woman in the Library by Sulari Gentile. This is a murder mystery that takes place in the reading room at the Boston Public Library. There is a woman's scream and the security guards take over and tell everyone to stay inside and stay put while they figure it out. 
Each person who's stuck in the room has his or her own reasons for being inside the reading room that morning, but it just so happens that one of them is a murderer. I am here for this good old murder mystery to figure out who did it. We got to switch it up. We got to read a little romance, a little self-discovery, a little cynical view of the future and technology, and then just a good old-fashioned whodunit. We love a good predictions book. <laughs> We're really bad at predictions, so <laughs> come along for the also, ride. Also, I think I have been to the Boston Public Library before. Really? Yeah. I've never been to Boston. I haven't been to the reading room, but I have been to the public library. So Maybe that's, that's where we should go for a little trip then. Well, done. Okay, great. Next week will be the last week for Writers and Lovers. Then we'll have a special episode. Take a week off. That's when we'll start reading Murder at the Library. The woman in the library. The woman in the library (laughs) (laughs) who was murdered, we assume. Or maybe someone else was murdered and she screamed and she saw them. Mm, Good question. We'll find out. One thing we're going to start doing more of on the podcast is talking to you about books that we've heard of or authors we know. And we're going to start this one in honor of Father's Day with a book written by my friend Rachel's dad called California Blood at Gettysburg from Annabelle in California to a bloody Pennsylvania rich. This is the story of two young men that grow into leaders in their path to Gettysburg. Along their journey, the protagonists learn lessons on sacrifice, romance, pride, bigotry, and kindness. The story is 80% history and 20% imagination. It's written by Mick Gallagher, who has been true to historical characters and events throughout the story. He's a retired military officer and teaches American government at a local college. If you want to get this book for your dad or for yourself, if you enjoy historical fiction, you can get it on Amazon. It is a dollar off right now in honor of Father's Day. Oh my god, I can't wait to make dinner. We're making a spicy <laughs> tomato pasta. Like, who cares what you read? I am hungry, okay? <laughs> I've been going to the farmer's market every weekend, and just, like, the f- the produce from the farmer's market is unreal. We have these strawberries, and I swear it is the best strawberry I've ever eaten in my life. In your life? In my life. And these tomatoes, I can't wait. All right. Tell us all the 75 million books you read on vacation. I didn't read 75 million, but I will say that I spent an entire week eating some of the best food I ever have in my life. And I'm still shocked that it wasn't, I'm not even kidding you, on an island that is eight miles long and nine miles wide in the middle of the ocean. Like we went to St. Martin and the food was incredible. Like incredible. I can't get over it. I'll never be over it. Amazing. Okay. I did read a couple of books though. I read The Club, which is was great if you want a quick beach read. This is not what I would normally clarify as a quick beach read because I usually read romance books on the beach. This is a murder mystery, but it's set on a remote island that is inhabited only by ultra-rich celebrities. So it's like this super exclusive, you have to invite only, only 150 people. Things go south quickly, and it is so good. It's like luxurious storyline, super dark story. You'll read it in like a day. Oh, I'm interested. It's good. It's really good. Then I read, finished, finally, What You're Getting Wrong About Appalachia. This is the response to J.D. Vance's book. It was good. Super dense. Nonfiction. If you're into it. Yeah. Then I read Remarkably Bright Creatures, which was incredibly sweet and I loved it. 
it is about this older woman who Tova, who is working in an aquarium. She's retired. She does not need to be working, but she is, she takes great pride in it. She also befriends an octopus. And I thought that was going to be a little fantastical for me. Cause I don't really like, but you get the octopus's perspective and hers. I don't know if I can sell this book enough, but it is so sweet. And there's a whole family history story of what happened to her son, which you know from the beginning that her son died really young and then her husband died. So there's a lot of kind of figuring out maybe what happened and her kind of going through the grief and also coming to terms with herself as she's aging and what kind of the next steps in her own life are. It's just, it's very sweet. I don't ever like books that involve like talking characters. I don't feel like that is a yeah, we hate talking characters. Not shit. Talking animals. <laughs> <laughs> I don't usually read books like that fantastical. I like talking animals, but this book is like incredibly sweet. Nice. Then I read Funny You Should Ask and more to come on my thoughts on that. But I thought that it was cute. I liked the setting again of him being, you know, a famous actor and her being a writer. Their careers kind of depending on and diverting from each other. So more to come on my thoughts of that. Then I read One Italian Summer, which was so good. I expected this to be kind of like strictly a romance uh, based on where it was at in my list of books to read. But it really is about this woman who has lost her mom and is kind of figuring out what that means for the decisions she's made for her life, how she kind of ended up in this marriage, in this suburban life, in all of these right ways of doing things, and then also really struggling with losing her mom and who she is without that kind of anchor. It was emotional. There is a little bit of romance. It was surprisingly good. Surprisingly deep, I should say. I feel like you would actually really like it. Okay. And now I'm currently reading. <laughs> so my friend Rachel recommended a book to me and she was like, this is a great beach read. 11 out of 10, extra spicy. I was like, 11 out 11 of 10, out extra of 10. spicy. Sign us up. Okay, I started reading it. It's called Things We Never Got Over. It was 572 pages. I was like, are you trying to kill me with a 600-page That book? is long. It's fine so far. I don't know if I'm going to finish it or if I'm going to like it. I mean, it's definitely spicy, but it might be like, it might be a little too spicy. I don't know. It might be bordering on... Maybe on, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm liking it. And then per usual, my dad left me with a John Grisham book to read. And that's it for now. Well, that was like 18 books. So I, think <laughs> I did read a lot of books. I was on a beach for a week. It's, it was the best. I'm so jealous. You have to go to St. Martin. Yeah, maybe one day. You could do it. This is my this is my crunch time summer without a vacation. I know, but after you get your first tenure job, like when you get a tenure job, you need to go to St. Martin to celebrate. Okay, great. Okay. Perfect. I'll go with you. It's perfect. Uh, okay, great. I'll go with you <laughs> to celebrate for you. Mm -hmm. I think I only finished two books, which was a lot because I was sort of just feeling like, eh, as you know from last week about books. But I finished Emily Ratajkowski's collection of essays called My Body. Emily is a supermodel who you might An remember An actual from... supermodel? Yes. Okay. You might remember her from the Blurred Lines music video where she's dancing around pretty much naked. Okay. Well, I don't. But she I'm was like, like the original broke the internet girl when that video came out. 
my body is a collection of essays sort of exploring the tenuous power that being attractive gets you in all of the ways that basically models are treated horribly. And I understand that. And yet, is it the most... (laughs) Okay, now this I understand why we're not sympathetic towards. This I get. Which I feel bad about. And she does reckon with, which is like, yeah, I mean, women, like, there is not really a lot of sympathy for that. But it's also the way, you know, that's the value she's been told that her life has is only her body. And men did treat her terribly, including Robin Thicke in that video and for that photo shoot among other people who have profited off of her body. And I think we, that's a systemic issue. She doesn't get into it in that much detail, but she's a good writer. She's got interesting stories. I liked it. I thought it was a good collection of essays from a surprising source. I wouldn't have expected, which again goes to exactly what she's saying. People don't expect her to be this thoughtful and to be a reader, to be interested in art. She also has a beautiful apartment. If you're an Arc Digest fan, Check out her place. Um, then I read Bunny by Mona Awad, which buzzy. People are talking about that book. Also, like a little comment on when you did it, when you posted it. What did you think? It was not what I expected. It is more surreal and like a very dark fairy tale. I ripped through it I think the bunnies so the it's a group of these uh girls they're all in a master's degree like an MFA writing program at a prestigious fake um university that I think is maybe supposed to be brown where Mona went and the the main character is sort of isolated from this other group of four female writers who are called the bunnies who are like the best most like absolutely fucking terrifying super intelligent sorority girl psychopaths from the 1950s (laughs) oh my god it's such a specific there's such a specific group of people who are so terrifying in a very specific way i think it's worth reading it's hilarious okay we'll keep you guessing just a lot more out there than i expected and just like you know it is a fairy tale i think that's what i would go into it as like this is like a dark brothers grim sort of story Okay, I'm intrigued. Set in the present day with present day hilarious characters. Within academia, too, of course. So I loved that. The book I'm reading now is called Wild Game. This book is about a 14-year-old girl who finds out that her mom is having an affair and has to keep that secret. But this is like real life. This is like a memoir. It's called Wild Game. My friend Jane told me to read it, so I'm only maybe 50 pages in. I'm going to rip through this book so fast. It's really good, and it's tough because it's one of those things where the mom is like, we're like, thinks that they're best friends, Uh, you know, and she like wants to confide in her, so she tells her about the affair and is like excited, and they are bonding over this experience, and... It just puts the daughter in this uncomfortable position where she has to lie to her stepdad, lie to other people, lie to her and brother, like and so it's basically fast. like eating her away. Yeah, because yeah. she's only 14. It's super young. Uh, but I'm really liking it so far. It's a good one. That sounds great. I will also add it to my list. Okay. Well, 
happy reading happy reading talk to you next week can't wait to finish this book i know Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. Killing it today. We are crushing. We are new people. I'm feeling so much better. We have been reborn. I feel bad about the first two episodes, though. <laughs> I know. Sorry, Lily. Lily.